Good morning, brothers and sisters, and welcome to the house of the Lord. As you turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4, I would like to just give you in that passage briefly an example of a person in in the New Testament who was an example of prayer. But while I do that, I would like to tell you about my good friend Bob Miller, who was a colleague of mine in Nicaragua. And in our first term there, every six weeks, the missionaries would get together to talk about their problems and to pray together. And I remember uh, several times being so discouraged. And we would get together and I would tell Bob my problems and pretty soon the tears would be running down his cheeks. And and then I would say, well, Bob, what shall we do? and he says, well, I think we should pray. And it seemed like I, I really, I thought maybe he hadn't heard me. So I'd tell my story over again. And the tears would run down again. And I'd say, now, Bob, what do you think I should do? And he says, well, I think we should pray. And after a while, I began to catch on. This is what you do and you don't know what to do. And when you still don't know what to do, you still pray. <clears throat> and so I'm so grateful to him for that lesson in prayer. Here in Colossians chapter 4, verses, uh, verse 2, and then in verse 12 and 13. You see references to prayer, Paul says, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you and them that are in Laodicea and them in Hierapolis. (coughs) Epaphras was an example of a praying man. It says that he worked hard in prayer. He labored. He worked to the point of exhaustion in prayer. I would confess I don't know yet all that he was going through, that labor, that working in prayer. He had a great zeal for them. One of these words, and I forget which, is the Greek word agonizomai. Do you recognize anything familiar there? He was agonizing in prayer for them. And so... We see that prayer can be a, a, a work. Prayer can be a watch. In Ephesians 6, prayer is a wrestle and a warfare. And so I want to lead you this morning just in reflecting on several more recent examples than Epaphras on lives of prayer, just to whet your appetite. You say, well, what's the use of blowing the dust off of some battered and tattered books and go back a hundred or two years to reflect on men of faith. The Bible says that we should do that. He says like this, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. In another version it says, Remember uh, other leaders and their way of life and faith and imitate them. So here are several men this morning that I would like to introduce to you from the past who are men of prayer, and thus whet your appetite to follow in the footsteps of Epaphras and of these men. The first one was John Hyde, who lived from 1865 to 1912, and people began to call him an apostle of prayer. He was the son of a Presbyterian pastor. <clears throat> His oldest brother was called into missions but died before he got there, leaving what they said was a gap in the ranks. John was at seminary and said to a classmate, I would like you to give me all the arguments you can on the question of the foreign field. His classmate says, arguments are not what you need. 
you go to your room and get on your knees before God and stay there until the question is settled. He did that all night, and the next morning he got up, and his face was shining, and you could see that the question was settled. He ended up going to India in 1892. On his way, someone told him that he needed the fullness of the Holy Spirit. He was upset and prayed on it. Uh, It took longer to get there those days than it does now. But before he got there, he had an assurance that God had come and met him in an unusual way to fill him with the Holy Spirit. While he was in India, actually he was not all that impressive a person. Let me describe him. If you were on the mission board, you might not have accepted him. He was slow of speech. When a remark or question was directed to him, he seemed not to hear. Or if he heard, it seemed he took a long time replying. His hearing was slightly defective. That would hinder language learning, I would think. It was a feared that it would hinder him from acquiring the language well. He was gentle and rather quiet. He seemed to be lacking in enthusiasm and zeal, which a young missionary should have. He had a wonderful pair of blue eyes, and we looked at you. It seemed like he was searching right through the center of your being. He seemed to have eyes of a prophet. Well, as he began to pray, there were several people that joined together with him, and they uh, had several questions that they used to recruit people with whom to pray. They formed what was called the Punjab Prayer Union, and they had these questions for one another. Are you praying for quickening in your own life and in the life of your fellow workers and in the church? Are you longing for greater power of the Holy Spirit in your own life and work? Are you convinced that you cannot go on without this power? Will you pray that you may not be ashamed of Jesus? Do you believe that prayer is the great means for securing this spiritual awakening? And will you set apart one half hour each day as soon after noon as possible to pray for this awakening? And are you willing to pray till the awakening comes? He and his uh, colleagues started a, an annual meeting, and it was held at a city called Sialkot. And each year they would gather together as missionaries and workers, <clears throat> nationals and foreigners. And year by year there would be unusual outpourings of the Holy Spirit. One time he and his uh, two other friends spent 30 days praying and fasting for that outpouring, that meeting before it happened. after uh, some years of working and experiencing a a mighty outpouring of God, God impressed on him to pray that he would use him to introduce one person each day to Christ. I'm not saying that everyone should do that. I myself do not do that. But he felt that he should do that. And God used him to accomplish that. After some years, God impressed him to ask for two each day. And several years later, to ask for four. God worked in him in unusual ways when he would be invited to come to a preaching series, not to preach, but to pray. It was amazing how God would pour out his spirit and people would be saved. People would be revived. It is said of him that the secret of his prayer life was this. What this is his secret of prayer. He glorified Jesus. How do I get this life from him? Just as I receive his righteousness to begin with. I own that I have no righteousness of my own, only filthy rags, and in faith I claim his righteousness. Now a twofold result follows. As to our Father in heaven, he sees Christ's righteousness and not my unrighteousness. A second result is this. 
Christ's righteousness not merely clothes us outwardly, but enters into our very being by his Spirit, received in faith as with the disciples, and works out his sanctification in us. Why not the same with our prayer life? Let us remember the word for. Christ died for us, and he ever liveth to make intercession for us in our place. So I confess my ever-failing prayers and plead his never-failing intercession. Then it affects our Father, for he looks upon Christ's prayer life in us in answers accordingly, so that the answer is far above all that we can ask or think. One time he was burdened to pray for an Indian pastor who he felt was becoming worldly and careless. As he knelt down to pray, God taught him a very solemn lesson, the sin of fault-finding even in prayer for others. He was once weighed down, and he retired to his inner chamber, and thinking of the pastor's coldness and consequent deadness of his church, he began to pray, O Father, thou knowest how cold... But it seemed a finger was laid on his lips so that not a word could be uttered. And a voice said to his ear, He that toucheth him toucheth the apple of mine eye. Hyde cried out in sorrow, Forgive me, Father, in that I have been an accuser of the brethren before thee. So he began to ask the Father to show him what could be praised in that pastor's life. And he was reminded of much for which he could heartily thank God and spent his time in praise. What was the result? Shortly afterwards, he heard that the pastor had at that very time received a great reviving and was preaching with fire. It is this way of praise that is appointed of God for preparing the bride and the putting on of her beautiful garments. So that's a very interesting lesson that spoke to me. Sometimes we can use prayer as a way of accusing of the brethren. Hopefully that will whet your appetite for learning more about John Hyde. Let's take a look at George Mueller, who lived from 1805 to 1898. He was an Englishman, and God worked through him to start orphanages. And at one time, he had up to 2,000 orphans, which he was supporting totally by faith. Not only that, but he gave away millions of pounds, which we would say dollars, to missions and to missionaries for literature distribution, the printing and distribution of Bibles. He tells us how through prayer to discover the will of God. He says like this, I seek at the beginning to get my heart into such a state that it has no will of its own in regard to a given matter. Second, having done this, I do not leave the result to feeling or simple impressions. If so, I make myself liable to great delusions. Third, I seek the will of the Spirit of God through or in connection with the Word of God. The spirit and the word must be combined. If I look to the spirit alone without the word, I lay myself open to great delusions. If the Holy Ghost guides us at all, he will do it according to the scriptures and never contrary to them. Fourth, next I take into account providential circumstances. These often plainly indicate God's will in connection with his word and spirit. Fifth, I ask God in prayer to reveal his will to me aright. And sixth, thus through prayer to God, the study of the word and reflection, I come to a deliberate judgment according to the best of my ability and knowledge. And if my mind is thus at peace and continues so after two or three more petitions, I proceed accordingly. In trivial matters and in transactions involving most important issues, 
I have found this method always effective. George Mueller. He went at times through seasons, even protracted seasons of great poverty. On one occasion, I hadn't remembered this from when I read this over 35 years ago, that he went through a period of time like for seven years that they hardly ever had enough from one day to the next. And this was his testimony. Truly, it is worth being poor and greatly tried in faith for the sake of having day by day such precious proofs of the loving interest which our kind Father takes in everything that concerns us. He said, when I lose such a thing even as a key, I ask the Lord to direct me to it, and I look for an answer to my prayer. When a person with whom I've made an appointment does not come according to the fixed time, and I begin to be inconvenienced by it, I ask the Lord to please hasten him to me, and I look for an answer. That means if somebody's coming late, right? And you're getting upset about it. He says, if I don't understand the passage in the scripture, I lift up my heart to the Lord and ask him to instruct me. If I'm going to share the word with someone, I seek the help of the Lord. And while I, in the consciousness of natural inability as well as utter unworthiness, I'm not cast down, but I'm of good cheer because I look for his assistance and I believe that he, for his dear son's sake, will help me. And then he asked the question, how, about, how can a person have his faith strengthened for prayer? He says, first, remember, every good gift comes down from above. So as the increase of faith is a good gift, I conclude it must come from God, and therefore he must be asked for this blessing. Second, the careful reading of the word of God combined with meditation on it. The more the believer becomes acquainted with the nature and character of God through the reading of the word, the more he is encouraged to pray and to ask in faith for God to answer prayers. Third, I seek to maintain an upright heart and a good conscience. He says, how can I possibly continue to act in faith with, upon God if I am continu- continually grieving him? Fourth, he says, if we want our faith to be strengthened, we should not shrink back from opportunities where our faith may be tried and therefore through trial to be strengthened. In other words, don't seek to avoid trouble because he's going to use trouble to strengthen your faith. <clears throat> He says, the more I'm in a position to be tried in faith with reference to my body, my family, my service for the Lord, my business, etc., the more shall I have opportunity of seeking God's help and deliverance. And every fresh instance in which he helps and delivers me will tend toward the increase of my faith. Therefore, I cheerfully embrace them as opportunities to grow in faith. Cheerfully embracing trouble and trials. And he says, the last point is, let God work for us. Do not try to work a deliverance of our own. Wherever God has given faith, it is given, among other reasons, for the very purpose of being tried. We should not try to work a deliverance of our own. We should simply look to God and wait for his help and give him time to answer. He gives some conditions for prevailing prayer. They are these. First, entire dependence upon the merits and the mediation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Second, 
Separation from all known sin. Third, faith in God's word of promise as confirmed by his oath. Fourth, ask in accordance with his will. And fifth, persevere in your supplication as you wait on him. He also mentioned that there are, two, uh, there are two qualities that walk together in effectual prayer, sort of like two young ladies walking together and helping each other and encouraging each other. And they are, they are fa- uh, thankfulness and unceasing prayer. He says in 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, Give thanks in all circumstances, pray without ceasing. They both go together. This book I read years ago, George Mueller of Bristol. I think you might still be able to get it. There's wonderful blessing in reading the stories of these men. He records thousands of answers to prayer. One of the more famous ones that I remember was that one morning for breakfast, they sat down to eat and there was literally no bread to eat. So he led them in prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. When they finished the prayer, there was a knock at the door and a carriage, a buggy, we would say today, had broken down and it was full of bread and they couldn't get it to the market, so they decided to donate it to the orphanage. Just wonderful answers to prayer that will encourage you as you read how God answered on his behalf. I think maybe that should be enough for an introduction to uh, Mr. Mueller and his orphanage. The other one that I would like to introduce to you this morning is Hudson Taylor. And someone years ago, as a missionary from another mission, uh, gave me or introduced me uh, to this two-volume work. And it's still in print, by the way. It's come back in print. Hudson Taylor, uh, The Growth of a Soul. And Hudson Taylor, The Growth of a Work of God. I warn you, it is fine print and narrow margins. But it is great reading, well worth it. And it it tells how he grew as a person and then how the mission grew. At one time, China Inland Mission, which he founded as maybe the first faith mission, depending entirely upon God for finances, had upwards up to 1,000 workers. It was amazing work of God. <clears throat> At one point in his life, Hudson Taylor felt deeply impressed of God to pray for 24 workers. He was struggling with what would happen, not if he didn't struggle whether God would provide for them, but he was struggling with whether they would remain faithful to God. And it was his encounter with God on Brighton Beach in England as he walked along the beach in struggle of soul. And God brought him through and gave him faith to believe. And he began to pray on that day for 24 workers. And within a couple of years, those workers were, were given to him. Here is a more famous quote of uh, Mr. Taylor like this. It is really just as easy for God to give beforehand, and he much prefers to do so. He is too wise to allow his purposes to be frustrated for lack of money. But money obtained in unspiritual ways is sure to hinder blessing. Let us see that we keep God before our eyes, that we walk in his ways and seek to please and glorify him in everything, great and small. Depend upon it. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. Many of you, I'm sure, have read that quote. 
There was a time, though, in which he was facing a great deal of pressure, and it was, uh, it was very difficult for him. And then he wrote out of that experience, it doesn't really matter how great the pressure is. It only matters where the pressure lies. See to it that it never comes between you and the Lord. Then the greater the pressure, the more it presses you to him. Isn't that wonderful? But still, he was struggling and trying to learn more about this life of Christ within. And here is a copy, a quote from one of his letters. He says, I do wish I could have a talk with you now about the way of holiness. At the time you were speaking to me about it, it was the subject of all others occupying my thoughts. Not so much from anything I had read, so much as from a consciousness of failure, a constant falling short of that which I felt should be aimed at an unrest, a perpetual striving to find some way by which one might continually enjoy that communion, that fellowship, at times so real, but more often so visionary, so far off. Do you know, I now think that this striving, longing, hoping for better days to come is not the true way to holiness, happiness, or usefulness. It is better, no doubt, far better than being satisfied with poor attainments, but not the best way after all. I've been struck with a passage from a book that says thus, The Lord Jesus received is holiness begun. The Lord Jesus cherished is holiness advancing. The Lord Jesus counted upon as never absent would be holiness complete. He is most holy who has most of Christ within and joys most fully in the finished work. It is defective faith which clogs the feet and causes many a fall. How then to have our faith increased? Only by thinking of all that Jesus is and all he is for us, his life, his death, his work. He himself has revealed to us in the word to be the subject of our constant thoughts. Not a striving to have faith, but a looking off to the faithful one seems all we need, a resting in the loved one entirely for time and for all eternity. And out of that experience came a deep soul rest that followed him the rest of his life. It was amazing, people testifying, of how God kept him in times of great trial during the Boxer Rebellion when missionaries were being martyred. Even ten scores of missionaries in the China Inland Mission, but that rest that kept him throughout that time. At one time of prayer, he was impressed to ask God, for 18 pioneer missionaries for nine unevangelized provinces in China, two of which were to go into Mongolia. But shortly after that, he became very ill, and it wasn't clear if he would even ever be able to walk again, if he'd ever get well. And so what he did, as he laid in his bed there, between the two bedposts of the foot of his bed, on the wall there he could see a map of China. And day after day he began to pray, for China and the unreached millions, and wrote a booklet that had a tremendous impact on England and beyond. And those 18 missionaries were given within a couple of years after he covenanted to pray for them. He testified that every advance in the mission was followed by a corresponding period of suffering. And every period of suffering was then followed by a period of advance the seasons of the soul and of a work of God. In 1881, he made an appeal for 70 new workers. And by several years later, 
those had come in. In 1886, in a conference of missionaries together, they were impressed to appeal for 100 new workers. By one year later, 600 people actually offered to serve, out of which 102 were chosen the following year. Amazing. Now, I would like to start closing, begin closing, with some more recent examples. I'm thinking of a lady right now named Elsie Imhoff West, uh, near Worcester, Ohio. This lady started praying for us. A farm lady began to pray for us in the late 70s. <clears throat> I didn't know it until uh, several years ago that she told us, I have prayed for you and your family every day since you went to Central America. She's losing her mind now because of Alzheimer's. But I, we owe a great debt to her. And then the, earlier this year, we met a friend of ours in Delaware. Peggy, you probably know um, Josie Slaybaugh. And she just barely escaped with her life. Uh, but when we visit her, she says, I've been praying for you every day. And you can see that she had been praying for us because she asked about our children. You know, what's Lenita doing? What's Arlen doing? Where is he now? And Mary, what's she doing? And I was so impressed with this lady who has been praying for us all this time. <clears throat> Carolyn reminded me of something this morning that I hadn't thought about in preparing for you. In 1983, in Managua, Nicaragua, my co-worker and I with some Nicaraguan brothers in a week of prayer and fasting were impressed to begin to pray out of Operation World for the country of Bangladesh and that God would raise up workers for that country. <clears throat> So when we came back to the States in 85, we began recruiting people to pray for Bangladesh. And people would pray and pray and pray. And it seemed like nothing was happening. We intended to go to Bangladesh, and then we got stuck in New York City. But found out later, through an SMBI student group that came to testify, that God had placed us just about a dozen blocks away from a growing Bangladeshi Muslim community right there. Well, now there's a team established in Bangladesh of a number of couples and a single. <clears throat> and I remember interviewing Randy Petersheim, Randy and Lisa, from uh, Reading, Pennsylvania, who were, uh, pre had applied to go to Bangladesh. I still remember the high that I felt sitting on our couch in our living room in, in uh, Brooklyn. When Randy informed me, I found out he was conceived in 1983. And in his late teens, he nearly died because of a brain tumor. And God used that operation to turn his life around. And he has a gift of an evangelist, personal evangelist. So amazing. And here we are still praying and others praying too for God to raise up work. And sometimes we will say, well, why do you get so, how can you get so many workers for Bangladesh there? I can only attribute it to these people who have been praying since 1983, I'll let you do the math. But I want to conclude with this account written by Ann Tice, who grew up not far from here, Grantsville, Maryland. Uh, Dan and Ann Tice. In fact, I don't know if Byron's here. He was here Friday. They live just five miles from here. <clears throat> it's his mother is a sister to Ann. And she wrote this article. They're in southern Spain right now working with Muslims from North Africa. And she writes, Recently in our home area, Grantsville, Maryland, we met Claude and Edna Beachy, my uncle and aunt from Indiana. 
They had been missionaries in Haiti for many years. While there, they met a young man from Spain who was working there as an engineer. My uncle Claude had Bible studies with him. Eventually, he and his wife accepted Christ. He was baptized, and later his his wife was baptized in another country. The couple eventually returned to to northern Spain, and my aunt and uncle lost track of them, but continued to pray for them for 20 years. They wondered if we had heard of this couple. Well, we live in southern Spain, not northern Spain, due to the fact that there are hardly any Christians in Spain And the fact that we had lived in the other southern end of the country for only three months, it seemed highly unlikely. As my uncle spoke of this man and used his name, my husband's eyes got big. He pulled out of his wallet a business card. The man who my uncle had led to the Lord years ago in Haiti is the man who gave us the needed invitation to live and work in Spain. Glory to God. Only God can orchestrate those kinds of events. My uncle broke down and cried. He could hardly stop weeping. After 20 years of praying, he found out that the man he had discipled and prayed for for 20 years had remained faithful and now was helping us enter Spain. Simply amazing. And now I do want to conclude the conclusion with this quote from Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret that goes like this. The hardest part of a missionary career, Mr. Taylor found, is to maintain regular, prayerful Bible study. Quote, Satan will always find you something to do when you ought to be occupied about that if it is only arranging a window blind. End quote. Fully would he have endorsed these weighty words. Take time. God, Give God time to reveal himself to you. Give yourself time to be silent and quiet before him, waiting to receive through the Spirit the assurance of his presence with you, his power working in you. Take time to read his word as in his presence, that from it you may know what he asks of you and what he promises you. Let the word create around you Create within you a holy atmosphere, a holy heavenly light in which your soul will be refreshed and strengthened for the work of daily life. Here again, his quote from one of his writings. Cross-loving men are needed that I, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. There is a needs be for us to give ourselves for the life of the world. An easy Non-self-denying life will never be one of power. Fruit-bearing involves cross-bearing. There are not two Christs, an easy one, an easy-going one for easy-going Christians, and a suffering-toiling one for exceptional believers. There is only one Christ. Are you willing to abide in him and thus to bear much fruit? Will you stand with me to pray? <clears throat> Father in heaven, we thank you for these examples of prayer from history, from the 18 and 1900s, and now from just the past several years. We give you praise and glory for their lives of faith, for their suffering, for their waiting, for their hungering, for their longing. Father, we ask you to lead us into similar lives of faith that you have uniquely designed for us. 
Father, would you make us men and women of faith, men and women of believing, persevering prayer, men and women who walk with you, who talk with you, who listen to you, who open up the way for your word to reach others for Christ, men and women who lay down our lives for the good of the church to grow and to expand and spread around the world for the glory of Christ, for the coming of the kingdom. Father, would you give us a greater measure of the spirit of intercessory prayer, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.